Breakfast Business with Enterprise Ireland on News Talk. Earlier this month, the IDA revealed that the pace of inward investment had slowed a little bit compared to last year. The state's inward investment agency said it had secured 139 investments in the first six months of the year, down 10% on the same time last year. The number of jobs that could be created was also down 33% on the first half of last year. It all shows that competition is hotting up from other European nations to get foreign direct investment. I caught up with the chief executive of the IDA, Michael Lowen, and began by asking him about that competition. So good morning, Joe. So I think what, what it's like is, you know, it's it's fiercely competitive, but it's always been fiercely competitive. I think, you know, over a 70 year history in IDA, you know, the one thing that's been, I suppose, consistent in all of that is the competitive landscape that is FDI and winning FDI. And I think if you look back over the last two to three years in particular, certainly post the COVID pandemic, the ground rules have changed and they've changed. In Who the, changed them? Well, I, I think who's changed? Well, a few things have changed. The world has changed, number one. I think secondly is if we look at the response post-COVID and coming out of COVID, first of all, the response during COVID, mm. it changed state aid rules and perspectives. Yes. If we look in the European Commission itself, you know, look how it changed. And Suddenly there was communal borrowing allowed in the European Union for the first time to bail out nations. Well, there, there was and, and, and look, it was all necessary because remember, we, we, we had to respond and I suppose, as they say, the, you know, doing the same thing and expecting a different result, we all know what that means. Right? It's, yeah. <laughs> so, so, so I think there had to be a response and, and I think in fairness there was. But what we're, what we're seeing now going forward is we're seeing a continuation of that flexibility of response and that proactive response. And we've seen that not just in Europe, we're also seeing it in the US. Mm. So when you look at the, the, the current IRA Act, as, as, as you know, in the in, in Inflation Reduction, Reduction Act, Act yeah. yeah. It's um, an unfortunate acronym for it, this country. It, for this part of the world. But, yeah. you know, but, but, but in, in the context of what it means, though, from, from an FDI perspective, it means that when you're looking at sustainable, large-scale sustainable investments, you know, the US are, is, is, has now, I suppose you want to call it, repositioned itself in terms of its competitive offering. Yeah. And, and through the Inflation Reduction Act, you're seeing a, you know, a flow of investments happening you know, in the US, actually from US companies and indeed from companies outside the US. And the current trajectory is in terms of FDI flows is that within Europe, it has remained stagnant or flat. Uh, it has increased within the US and I think the, the in, um, IRA you know, Act has been, I suppose, an enabler of that in terms of the flows into the US as well. Uh, and it's scaring the bejesus out of a lot of people in Brussels. It, well, it, it is. It, at once it, it's, causing, it's causing a certain a ripple effect. And, and in one way, as you say, like Europe has to respond you know, as well. But what we have to make sure is that that response is balanced. As, you know, and I think as a small open economy, that's where Ireland and the Irish government are being very clear is that what we can't have and what won't be to anyone's advantage, irrespective of what part of the globe you're in, is we get into, if you want to call it, an incentive bidding war. Mm-hmm. And to be honest, I think that's a false economy as well. Because and just to clarify, this is where if you go back to the old precinct single market days where giant countries could subsidise some of their champions, some of their national champions and smaller nations, including this one, mm. can't compete. Well, well yeah, we can, well, at, at, at a level you can't compete. Well, if you look at one level, you say on a financial basis we can't compete. Mm. But there are lots of other areas you can compete. And mm. I think in my experience of FDI and over the 70 years in IDA, you know, and I'm two decades now in IDA, mm-hmm. you know, 
you know, investments don't happen just on one on one element, right? They don't just turn on incentives. Yes, they're important, right? But what what's more important and what's also important, I think, is the fact of, you know, you have to be, have an ecosystem and, and a location actually where success, you know, can happen. And success means you have to have the right infrastructure. Success means you have to have the, the talent available as well, both for today and for the future. So I think they're the key things that also are important as part, as part of incentives as well. But apart from the Americans and the Inflation Reduction Act, European nations have got their act together. I think they've seen how much Ireland has received a disproportionate amount of FDI and they're stepping up their game. I mean, people are saying that the French have really stepped up their game. Yeah, so I think I think we've always seen, I suppose, the large European countries being competitive for, for, for FDI. But you're correct. I think in the last year or two, you've actually seen them increase. The intensity of that has really increased. And and you're correct. If you if you look at, at the French, the French have become, you know, they've actually, in some ways, they're modelling and taking what they've seen in Ireland and they're trying to replicate some of that in terms of infrastructure that they're delivering. And I'll give you an example. You know, they're actually in the life sciences industry trying to, to replicate what we have developed here over probably two, three decades in terms of life sciences and they're obviously trying to, to mirror some of that. Um, but, you know, the thing about competitive advantages, it takes a period to build it up. Um, and while, I say to, as I said previously, incentives are a good way to get started. What really sustains, and that's where I think Ireland has a, has a real role to play here and Ireland's tr- strength is, and, we, and you have to play to your strengths, let's be honest, mm. is that longevity of what we have in FDI, our skill base that we have, our ability for our academic systems to respond to industry and to bring the type of, of not just, I suppose, research that's needed for the future, but the skills and talent base that's needed for the future as well. And that's where we need to continue to keep our focus. Do we have the correct pipeline of graduates coming out? I mean, Ireland has one of the most educated workforces Mm. in Europe. I think something like 60% have some sort of third level qualification, which is far higher than UK, for example, is in the 40s. Correct. But do we have the pipeline of talent? You mentioned life sciences. A lot of people are talking about the hot topic of artificial intelligence. Do we have the kind of the correct courses, be they degree courses or master's courses or diplomas, to meet the challenges of the 21st century? Yeah, so, so I think it's a, it's a really good question and I think it's a question we always pose ourselves and I think we pose through the system and the government as well and through our partners, you know, through, through, through the universities and third level system. And the honest answer is you're never finished you have to continuously evolve. And I think if we look at what we've done in terms of Ireland, and this again goes back to, to my mind, where our strength is and playing to our strengths. As a, small com- as a small country, we have the ability to be agile and we've shown that and we have the systems. And the, the, the reality of it is our network in Ireland are, are quite short. So from, from, if you want to call it academia to government to industry, that network is very short and very tight. And that means actually you can change quite quickly. And we've seen that. For example, you spoke about AI. Like Ireland was one of the first countries in the world actually to bring a master's forward in AI, which was done at the University in Limerick a couple of years ago. So we've shown that agility to be at the front end. We've done the same, you know, before in terms of when we switched, we saw the, the, the switch coming in the, in the pharma industry from small molecules, which is your, your, your tablet that we all swallow, to biologics, which is an injectable. We saw the change coming there and actually we built an institution and courseware then to actually manage that transition from one technology type to another and we flourished on the back of that. So I have no doubt that's what we can do. And as we look, you know, in terms of our own, working with our own department, our, our own department in enterprise and indeed the Department of Higher Education and Research, I think the new strategy there is so important because it's 
embedded with feedback and indeed what the future looks like for industry in terms of next generation skills. And that's where we have to continue to play. Now, going back to potential rivals, do you think Northern Ireland with its access to the UK and the single market could pose a, a potential rival or a threat in a few years? Yeah, I, I think for, first of all, to say, I think from an Ireland perspective, you know, as an Irish citizen, it's, it, I think welcome the, the Windsor framework and I think we'd like to see, you know, you know, and someone that's from the border region, you know, I'm, I'm from lovely Leitrim, Leitrim, lovely Leitrim, yeah, and, and you know, and, and reside in Leitrim. So it's, it's still, you know, that cross border border flow of activity of people, you know, you know, I'm, I'm at the end, I'm at, the, I suppose, one of those last generations that knew the difference between having a border and not having a border and the difference that's made to the economy has just been immense. So, so, I think in the context of Northern Ireland what would be I think what would be beneficial for the all Ireland and for all Irish citizens is to see uh, a further engagement in terms of that cross-border flow what that means in terms of because you know let's be honest you know, innovation doesn't know doesn't know borders or boundaries. You know, people shouldn't know borders but or boundaries. But they do know taxation and customs borders. They, they, they do, yeah. And I think, I think in fairness, you know, if, if we look at the opportunity that there is for Northern Ireland, there certainly is a unique opportunity for Northern Ireland. Um, now, it also again has has I suppose a journey to travel yeah. in order to be able to capitalise on. But that. they could they could eat our lunch in theory because their wages are lower, their land prices are lower, their assets are lower. They have a similar stock uh, of talent, though not quite the. Same same level of third level education but in theory they have a quite an attractive proposition and they're just over the border. Yeah, so so they're all elements you could have talked about in here in the Republic of Ireland 20, 25 years ago. Mm. You know, so I think where, where we have moved from an FDI perspective is if you look at, you know, knowledge intensive, R&D led, you know, on the cutting edge of innovation, that's predominantly what FDI is in Ireland and, and the enterprise based in Ireland. So so I think, you know, do do I have a fear? No, I don't. I think, you know, we compete with, with you know, countries all over the world. So I, I don't see that changing anytime soon. We talked about the cost down here in the south. Accommodation, of course, is a major concern. You've been on the record about that, Michael. Mm. Uh, would you say that the companies coming in here look at that and it forms a part of their assessment and a worrying part of their assessment? If their people that they're going to potentially bring in have to pay a fortune to live here, mm. they say, well, is it worth it? Because it's all about brain power. Yeah, so, so so you're correct. I think when, when companies look at investments, they look across a number of criteria and, and obviously infrastructure and housing is, is, is one of those key elements. But maybe to put it in context as well is that, you know, while no one is denying that there's there's a housing shortage in Ireland and, you know, and we need to respond and we need to respond quicker. And I think I've, I've you know, I've, I've said that on the record a few occasions. I think in fairness to the government, they are committed to do that and, and we just need to see more traction. But you have to put in the context of what investors are looking at. You know, if, if you're looking at, you know, a Dublin or Ireland versus any other part of the world, global economies, which are, you know, developed economies, economies that are growing, they have similar challenges, right? Similar challenges in terms of availability of infrastructure, availability of housing. Now, that's not to say we don't solve our problems. Yes, we do. But put it in the context of a decision, that's what companies are looking at. So they're looking at it in the context and say, well, is it, is it Ireland? Or is it somewhere else in Europe or is it somewhere else in the US? And there's different factors that come into play in all of those areas and constraints and benefits, let's be honest. But to get back to your question in terms of, you know, what do investors look at here in Ireland? 
like I suppose we just a week ago or 10 days ago we announced our half year results 139 investments you know 50, over 50 of those were first time investments into Ireland so that shows that you know investors are still confident that Ireland has the right proposition that you know they're making those investments and decisions knowing where our challenges are but more importantly I think what's important for investors is is that they see an actual plan for resolution and that that plan is committed to at the highest levels within the state and that has delivered upon because companies look at investments not just in yearly or two yearly windows they look at them over longer term so making sure that there's infrastructure to support them is so critical. And should companies coming in here consider buying or acquiring or building accommodation for their staff? It's an interesting question and my own personal view is I, I'm not sure that's where companies where if, if I'm honest where companies are best placed to deliver that type of infrastructure personally. I think that the market should respond I think the state should respond and I'm not sure that enterprises so if you're a let's call it a, an engineering company for argument's sake mm. do you want to spend your time and resources in an area that's not your property yeah that's not your core competency yeah. and I think if you know it's, it's a bit like if, if we go back to and again if you go back to the pandemic and you look at a few lessons from the pandemic everyone was striving to try and help even those that thought they could help but didn't have the expertise to help in particular mm-hmm. areas everyone pulled together everyone pulled together and I think that's really really good but when it comes down to it, if you really want to solve any problem you have to have the people that know that business and know that problem no and, I, I get yeah. that but but it must you must have been disappointed when Apple decided they, they were going to pull out of a plan to build a huge data centre due to objections and delays and judicial yeah. reviews and whatever you have in yourself yeah well, well th- th- I suppose that was a separate piece that's got to do with the planning legislation and you're correct you know that, that was th- that was disappointing you know that Apple and in fairness to, to Apple we have to be honest is you know the the reason for that decision was the the length of time associated with the process and actually the planning process wasn't issue because the planning process actually happened quite quickly mm. and 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 which which was good but the judicial process thereafter became you know with a never ending time frame yeah. and and to be honest that's something we have also spoken about on the record for the last number of Ireland years Ireland appears to be too democratic so you can object to something being built in Wexford if you're sitting in Killybegs in mm. Donegal is mm. that right well I, I think there's a balance Right, and I think like there's no one saying that there shouldn't be due process in terms of planning process or indeed. But what we what we would be advocating for, and and what we'll hopefully see through through the new changes in the legislation is we'll see actual timeframes in which decisions have to be made through mm. through 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 the judiciary, and that's important. There is no one arguing that you shouldn't have due process. There is no one arguing that people shouldn't be in a position to have their say. It just needs to be done quicker. It just needs. Well, it does needs. It needs to be done quicker. Number one, but it also needs to be set out in terms of statute in terms of decisions. And we and can't what, have what this. would you like to see? Would you like to say, say <clears throat> these things must be decided within three or six months? Yeah, well, three or six months might be a bit ambitious in the judicial system, but mm. but certainly I think that you know we should we shouldn't be going beyond twelve months and fifteen months on decisions. When decisions can be made, they should be made. The information is there, the detail is there. It should be assembled, and decisions should be made because it allows everyone, right, no mm. matter who you are, right, to at least then plan and get on or decide what happens next. Is our is our broadband and rail infrastructure good enough? I mean. Can Compared to some countries in Western Europe, it doesn't appear to be. Well, uh, yeah, so I think on, on broadband, you know, and again, going back to, I suppose, someone that, that lives in a rural a rural location, you know, and have been able to work from home. And and, and, and if you look at the number of, of, of hubs that's been developed, you know, through to, through the Department of Rural Affairs, I think we've, we've done a really good job in terms of broadband. Yes, you can always strengthen and improve it. And there's no doubt there is, there is always going to be pockets, you know, of poor coverage. Mm. But in general, for, you know, for most people in terms of being able to run a business, you know, unless it's a very heavy content business, 
decisions, which is yeah. which can be quite different, let's be honest. Yeah. But the rural hubs is a means to respond to that. So I think in that area. On rail, yeah, look, I think the, 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 the reality of it is in Ireland is, you know, we probably had a better rail system, you know, in generations past than we have in the future. 150 yeah. years ago. Yeah, yeah, we, we did. Yeah, yeah, we, we have. I've heard stories of all those narrow gauge systems and how they transport us, you know, and today, and I think as, as an economy, you know, and as we look to the transition of sustainability, you know, we all want to look at different options of, of transportation as well. So I think further rail w- would be important. And, and it's interesting, like, you know, when we look at some of our portfolio of lands ac- around the, the country as well, we're actively engaged with, with, with Irish Rail and to see, but where are the commuter areas? How could we actually expand railway lines in order to bring sites on, on in terms of transportation? This is a really important point you've raised because it appears as if the IDA are actively looking to lure companies outside the capital and where they have already developed the sites. Now, this was something that was started by your predecessor, Martin Shanahan, to look at sites. They might have been old warehouses and say, no, we're going to bring it up to an A rating. We're going to make sure that it is well connected and then you've got it's plug and play for a lot of the investors who come in. Yes, so I think a few things maybe to say on that. So first of all, is from from an idea perspective, we we've made very strong commitments to to balance regional uh, investment. That's something we've committed to. Mm. Um, you know, in this in this current strategy, we've committed to getting four hundred investments outside of the Greater Dublin area, mm. and we're two and a half years into that, and we're we're well on the way to deliver that. You know, we're over 320, 330 investments gone into regional locations, and that's important because we need to get balanced regional investment. It's also yeah. cheaper to live outside Dublin as well. Yeah, well, well, there's many benefits. You know, I think there's 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 many benefits, you know, both from a societal perspective, from an enterprise perspective, from an educational perspective, you know, so so it has all of those benefits. And I think it's important as well is that, you know, across, you know, we're a small, we're, we're a small country, you know, when we, you know, when, when you put it in context, you know, a couple of hours are bringing you from north to south to east to west, you know, so, you know, in that context, I think making sure we, 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 I suppose we're deliberate as well in terms of, you know, how we, how we actually match enterprise with different elements of, of it. And if you look at of, of, of Ireland, and when you look at, for example, the West Coast, like Galway is a recognised cluster for medical device. That didn't happen, you know, just by accident. You know, there, it happened through, I suppose, a number of clear policies in terms of investment, in terms of attracting companies. And of course, and those, you were head of life sciences with IDA beforehand. Well, 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 well sorry, it, it predates me as well. Just yeah. to, just to yeah. say that, so I'm not, I'm not saying it for that purpose. But but like we, we have for a long time, we've, we've been investing, and and my previous career actually, I was responsible for the property portfolio as well. So I'm very familiar with the impact that having, let's call it, a large strategic land bank in a particular region has, and and indeed. You you know, 10, 10 years ago or so, or less than that, eight years ago, we stepped back in to actually building facilities again, which was a big move for IDA because we had stepped out of that market because the market was responding. Then we had a few crashes, as we know, financial crash mm-hmm. and a property crash. And, you know, there was market failure. So we stepped back in to resolve that market failure. And that has been really successful for us. We've seen investments being won, you know, in Sligo, in Athlone, in Castlebar, you know, in Limerick, in Waterford, all on the back of investments that, that we've made in terms of bringing that advanced infrastructure. And when investors look to a location, what they want to do is, we ask what our job as an agency is, is to help them understand the proposition that is Ireland. And secondly, to de-risk where we can some of the decisions around that. Mm. And some of those decisions of de-risking is if we can de-risk, let's call it a property solution, either in terms of a greenfield site, in terms of having a property zoned, maybe some infrastructure brought on site, or indeed a facility which a company can come to, that helps them in terms of the decision-making process. And we see, if you want to call it, 
a different pace of decision when you have solutions like that readily available. Yeah, and it, it helps that you know the, the site is already developed and ready to run. Doesn't need to be adapted too much. Obviously, there'll be some a- adaptation. Um, you, uh, I mentioned you uh, replaced uh, Martin Shanahan. That can't have been easy. He was in the job a very long time and was the face of the IDA for a long time, standing on the shoulders of giants. Yeah, well, well, it's, it's funny you say that because it's, it's interesting. Like I worked with Martin, like I'm 20 years in IDA, so I worked with Martin from when Martin came in, actually, so and was part of Martin's leadership team uh, as well. So so I, I know Martin very well and, and have been, I suppose, been fortunate to work with with Martin as well because you know he he was he was easy to work with and he and he had he had a clear vision as what we wanted to deliver so so that was very helpful and you're correct we but we all stand on the shoulders of those that went ahead of us you know so so it's interesting actually just two weeks ago we we had some of our, of our past retirees in as part as part of of an engagement in 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 our head office and they were actually the words I used it says like. I, as an IDA representative and employee, you know, we actually stand on the work that those people have done ahead of us and we continue to build on that. And I think that's what's unique about IDA. You know, it's 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 an organisation of committed people across the globe. Um, very fortunate, you know, that we, we have, you know, that level of commitment that, you know, people are, you know, every hour almost of every day, there is an IDA employee somewhere around the world selling Ireland putting Ireland in, in a position in terms of investment. It doesn't matter what... That it can't have been easy in 2010, 2011. No, no it wasn't. It wasn't easy at all. It, it, there's been several periods through our history where, you know, we've we've had we've had very difficult in-market engagements, let's be honest, yeah. you know. And what did that mean? You know, it's, it's sometimes you have two choices, you know. And the only choice you really have is you... You, you get your message straight, you roll up your, you, sleeves. You up your sleeves, you straighten up your back mm. and you go out there and you you, you swing the bat. And you'd and have to do a lot more media interviews. Yeah. I mean, Martin was a regular visitor to the studios of Bloomberg and CNBC. He was. Do you like doing media stuff? Well, I'm, I'm getting there. So so you're, so you're correct. So funny you mentioned Bloomberg because I started on, on Monday the 17th of April and on Tuesday the 18th we had Bloomberg in, in, in Dublin in yeah. Ireland here for a few days. So so within 24 hours of taking up the role I was sitting in a Bloomberg studio being interviewed so it was a quick start, but but yeah, look, it's it's a different, I suppose, for me, for someone that's been in the organisation, and I suppose getting on with doing, if you want to call it, the activity, the sleeves rolled up. Mm. It's very different when you have to step out into the into the and become that public face. And it's you know the media is one element, but also in terms of engagement, you know, I'm conscious now that you know I'm not sp- I'm not speaking as Michael Lohan, I'm speaking as the CEO of IDA, mm. and that brings a responsibility that I have to deliver upon for the agency, for the staff, and indeed for for for. For Ireland as a whole, and uh, the final issue about you, you kind of the right personality for the job. Do you need to be more of a salesman, or do you need to be politically wise, or do you need to be great at networking, or how, what's the key element that Michael Lowen needs to do his job? Yeah, so, so I think there's a number of elements in it. So actually, I'm, I'm not sure it's a, it's it's about. So I, I do think it's about networking, right? I do think you have to be aligned and being able to show vision in the political system as well, and and to show where the where the opportunity is. You have to be able to influence to deliver. Let's be honest, right? I would say that, you know, we're actually don't do sales, we do partnerships. And when we look at what we do in the marketplace, we're actually, and I think that's what sets IDA maybe somewhat apart from other global agencies in the world is that we're actually not there just to do the sale. Mm. We're actually there to partner. And there's a difference and there's a distinct difference. And that distinct difference is, is that, you know, as companies come to Ireland, either new or existing, Right. We partner with them to make sure that, you know, and you, as you rightly said before, they're not all good times. There's, all, there's going to be challenging times. And that's when partnerships are so important. Sales don't happen during, par- during downturns. Partnerships do. 
And what we need to do is make sure we continue to partner with companies. And I think from my perspective, what I have to do is I have to do, I suppose I have a couple of roles. I have to manage up, I have to manage out and I have to manage in, if you want to call it such. So they all take different characteristics. And I suppose some of those characteristics I may have, more I'm going to have to probably hone over the next Street couple angel, of years. house devil, something yeah, well, like that. Well, hopefully, yeah, well, maybe it depends. That's that's a question you can ask someone else. Yeah. But 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 I do think, you know, as I look at it is, you know, I have to also make sure that from an organisation perspective that people are, are properly resourced, they know what they're going out to do, they know how they're going to influence, how they're going to partner with and can deliver. So I have to make sure we have the tools available to the staff to do that. I also have to make sure from a national perspective, our strategies are aligned where we have, let's call it challenges that I'm, I'm forthright and upfront in those as well and understanding how we resolve. And then there's the client engagement piece and the media piece. Um, so there's, there's, many, there's many hats that has to be worn on, on a given week. Breakfast Business with Enterprise Ireland on News Talk.